0: Okay, Matthew chapter 7. Before we begin, uh, let's pray. And as I pray out loud, if I could encourage you to pray in your heart and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you and to teach us to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for once again the opportunity to gather together. Father, would you please help us not to take this for granted, this privilege that we have to gather freely. We thank you for preserving this Freedom. And tonight, as we open your word and once again approach this topic of prayer, we ask that your Holy Spirit would teach us all things as the Lord Jesus promised he would. We pray that you, by your Spirit, would guide us into all truth. Please open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of thy law. And Father, I need your wisdom, I need your Spirit's guidance. I ask that you would please guide my tongue, guide my frame of thinking, that everything communicated from this pulpit would be directly from you and would be pleasing to you. And Father, I pray that every single one of us would leave this room tonight with an excitement in our hearts about prayer, with a firm resolve to pray without ceasing and to become a people of prayer. And we thank you that you promised to provide everything that we need, all the grace we need to obey you. And so Father, as you speak to us tonight and and show us things in our life that need to change, we pray that you would fill our hearts with the faith uh, to believe that you will provide all that is needed. Please speak to us in these next few moments. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we looked at three simple truths to kind of introduce this series on standing on the promises. The first truth that we looked at was that the Bible, this book that we hold in our hands, this precious treasure, the Bible is a book of promises. In fact, uh, the way it's divided up into the Old and New Testament, the very names of the sections Uh, bring this to light, because a testament is a covenant. It's an official promise. And God had a big promise in the Old Testament and big promises in the New Testament. And so the Bible is a book full of promises. Then the second point we looked at was that once a person has accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, we have access to all of the promises of God. So if you have Jesus Christ as your Savior, all of the promises of God in Him, the Bible says, are yea and amen. So when we read a promise in Scripture and we want to claim it, but we feel, oh, I'm not good enough. Or, oh, I'm not spiritual enough. Or, I feel like I don't meet those conditions. Well, the Lord Jesus meets all the conditions. And He is worthy of all of God's promises. And so when we accept Him as our Savior, we get access to to all of the promises contained in this book. And then point number three, and why this series is on prayer, we saw that prayer is the way that we respond to God's promises and make them our own. It's the way that we bring them into the reality of our daily lives. And really, the great struggle of humanity, the great problem that we have encountered in every century is the failure to take God's promises seriously and the failure to claim them. In God's Word, He offers salvation to every single human being. And the only thing that sends a person to that awful place called hell is their own willful rejection of this promise of salvation in God's Word. The only reason we see weak, anemic churches that do not impact their cities or the world for Christ is a failure to claim the promises in God's Word. Because when we studied the Great Commission, we saw that all power is given on the Lord Jesus in heaven and in earth. He is with us always. He is everything we need to make a lasting impact on Burnaby and the world about us. He is everything we need to live the Sermon on the Mount, to live the Beatitudes, and to fulfill the Great Commission. And the only reason we would fail is if we fail to claim the promises that He has given us in His Word. And we saw that this this thing of standing on the promises, of claiming all that God has for us. It's a serious thing. It's not a yawning matter. It's not, if I get around to it, I'll, I'll try to look into God's promises, and if one of them is convenient for my life, I'll claim it. No! It's a serious matter. And the book of Hebrews were warned that we should fear, lest the promise being left of us, we should seem to come short of it. God takes His promises seriously, and he expects his children to do the same. And so we must stand on the promises, or we will fail of all that God wants to give us. So that was the preparation in the last week, but now we're going to look at three more truths. That will really encourage us in this matter of prayer. So we're going to look at three simple truths, and then we'll look at the booklet and see how some of those truths are played out and exemplified. But the first truth that we will look at tonight, this is kind of a long sentence, so if you can listen carefully and then try to write it down with me. But number one, God is our good Father, who delights in nothing more than hearing And answering our prayers. If you wanted to shorten it, you could say, God is our good father who delights in hearing and answering our prayers. But for emphasis, uh, God is our good father who delights in nothing more than hearing and answering our prayers. That means there's nothing that makes God happier than hearing and answering his children's prayers. Could you jot down this reference under this first point? Proverbs 15, verse eight. We are told in that verse that the prayer of the upright is his delight. Do you realize that when you stop to pray, even if it's only for a few moments, if you stop and and you mean it and your heart is in it and you're praying to God, the prayer of the upright is his delight. That means every time you and I stop to pray, We are bringing a smile to our Father's face. Now, we might read that and hear the prayer of the upright is his delight. And we might think, well, I don't know if I've I've been perfect leading up to this prayer. I don't know if this prayer is going to bring much delight to God. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ has given us his righteousness. And because he is our advocate at the Father's throne, always speaking good on our behalf, defending us before the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's always upright. And our prayers go through him. And so anytime we as God's children stop to pray, that is a delight to our Father because he delights in hearing and answering our prayers. Matthew 7, the text that we're at right here, the Bible says in verse 11, If ye then being evil, so he calls out his own disciples as evil. And really, as humans, we're all we're all tainted with the sin nature. We can all be called evil. But he says, if ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children. Notice this. How much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Right here, this is simple logic. Every one of us in this room has probably received some good things from our parents. Some good gifts that we ask for and they gave us. Sometimes even the worst of parents will still give uh, their children gifts uh, sooner or later. And the Lord Jesus is pointing out, you're evil and you do that for your children. How much more shall your Father in heaven who is perfect, who is always good, how much more shall he give good things to them that ask him? But how many times do we kneel to pray and we go to ask God for something and we're hesitant we're reluctant, and we think, God doesn't really want to give me anything good. Uh, I haven't been a, a good enough Christian to earn the right to ask God for this. Look, God is a better father than our parents, and if our parents are willing to give us good gifts, how much more shall our Father in heaven? This is the truth of Scripture, that God delights in hearing and answer prayers. So the problem is not with God, the problem is with us. Here tonight, I would ask you the question, do you believe this? Do you believe that God delights in hearing and answering your prayers? We have more biblical evidence. If you could jot down James 1, verses 16 through 17, the Bible says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. Do you realize every good thing that you have experienced in your life has come from God? every single thing that's because our father is a good father who delights in giving us good things and he delights more if we ask for it than than if he just gives it without us asking he wants us to ask and he wants us to have that fullness of joy of receiving from him if you could jot down revelation 5 8 i think this is one of the. Most profound verses in all of Scripture, we're told that golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints, are stored up in heaven. You realize that when you pray, God is storing your prayers up in vials, or little bottles in heaven. That is how much our God values our prayer, that He stores our prayers up in vials in heaven. Really, we cannot fathom How much delight our prayers bring to our Heavenly Father. How much He wants to give good things to us. So why is it that we hesitate to pray when our Father is this good and delights in giving us good things? So that's the first point. God is our good Father who delights in hearing and answering our prayers. But number two, notice the opposite. Satan is our worst enemy who delights in nothing more than hindering our prayers. You see, the devil, Satan, is against God. Every good thing that God wants to give us, the devil wants to take from us. It has been like this since the very beginning of time. God wanted to give Adam and Eve every good gift, every good thing to bless their lives. And what did Satan do? He came in to steal from them what God wanted to give them. We don't see prayer necessarily vividly there in the garden, but it's the same principle. The blessings that God wants to give us, the devil wants nothing more to, to rob those blessings from us. Could you turn to 2 Corinthians 2? 2 Corinthians 2. Our Father is a good God who wants to give us good things in answer to our prayers. Satan is our enemy, and he wants to do everything he can to keep us from praying for what God wants to give us. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11, notice what the Apostle Paul says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. He says, we as Christians are not ignorant that the devil wants to get an advantage of us. The devil wants to attack every single one of us. From Bethel and Josephine here in the front row to brother Josh Calloway at the very back. The devil wants to get an advantage of every single one of us. He wants to rob us of the blessings that God wants to give. And if we have God's word in our hands." And a preacher like Pastor Mackay, who's faithful every day to preach us God's word, we are not ignorant of his devices. But how often do we live as if we have no idea what the devil is doing? You, You know, all the excuses, all of the reasons that flood your mind to prevent you from prayer. Oh, I've sinned today, so God must not want to hear me. Oh, I'm too busy, I don't have time to pray, but God will understand. Oh, I don't really understand how to pray, and it's so confusing, and it's boring, and I don't enjoy it, so I shouldn't pray. Do you realize every single excuse that comes into your mind to keep you from praying is from Satan himself. There is no good reason. There is no biblical reason. There is no God-honoring reason to keep us from praying. And every time we we listen to those excuses, every time we avoid the place of prayer, every time the Holy Spirit works in our hearts to urge us to pray, but we hesitate and hold back, every single time, that is the work of our enemy, Satan himself. You can look throughout Scripture and you will find this is absolutely true. Satan fights How do we know this? Well, I'll give you several references. You don't have to write them down because I'm going to give you a handout later. So don't worry about writing them all down. But Matthew 26, 41, the Lord Jesus said, Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know the antidote to the devil's temptations? Prayer. If you and I, when we are tempted to sin, if we will run to God in prayer, remember in James we're told, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So if we submit to God in this area of prayer, make it a priority, never avoid the place of prayer, Satan will be defeated. And he knows that. So where does he attack us the most in our Christian lives? He attacks us in our prayer life. And you might think that it's just because, oh, I'm not a super spiritual Christian. Or, oh, I just don't really know how to pray. Or, oh, it's just these bad habits that have formed, that's why I can't really have a strong prayer life. No, 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 no. The answer to all those things is that Satan is at work doing everything he can to thwart your prayer life. Because he knows if you are a praying Christian, he is defeated. We see this in, in other passages in the gospel that prayer defeats temptation. We see it in 1 Peter 5. We see it in Ephesians 6, which we la- looked at last week. All throughout Scripture, it is abundantly clear. Satan will attack us in this area of prayer because he knows that prayer is powerful. This is one of the most impactful quotes on prayer that I've ever read or heard, so I encourage you to listen very carefully as I read this quote from Samuel Chadwick, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks our wisdom, but he trembles when we Pray. So the next time that some excuse, some reason not to pray is planted in your mind, tell it to get lost. Cast down those imaginations and bring your thoughts into obedience to Christ because every excuse for our lack of prayer is from Satan himself. We are not ignorant of his devices and we cannot continue to act as though we are. We cannot stay defeated when we know the path to victory. So don't listen to the devil's lies. Don't let him keep you from praying. Number three tonight, in your notes, this builds on what we've just looked at, it's just really repeating it. There is never, and if you can underline, star, circle, put it in big letters, there is never a legitimate reason to avoid praying. Never. This is why we must get up and stand on the promises of God and make prayer the number one non-negotiable priority of our lives. Do you realize that prayer is is the the greatest uh, spiritual discipline that, that God has given to us in his word over and over, he tells us to pray without ceasing, or continue in prayer, or praying always with all prayer and supplication. And if he's commanding us to pray always, then there is never a good time not to pray. There is never an illegitimate excuse not to pray. We have to make this the number one priority of our lives. Now, I'd like to finish with one example to encourage you before we go into uh, the booklet. Could you turn to Joshua, the book of Joshua? What What I believe the Lord is asking us to do tonight is to once and for all make a commitment to prayer. Make a commitment that we are going to pray daily. Make a commitment that with God's help, with the Holy Spirit living inside us, we are going to obey his command to pray without ceasing. We are not going to continue to live as if we're independent of God. I believe that is what God is urging us to do tonight, to make that commitment. But if you're sitting here thinking, I failed too much in this area, I've tried this before, I've prayed lots of times, I've never enjoyed it. Whatever the cases are, whatever excuses are coming to mind, I would ask you to let the example of Joshua encourage you. In Joshua chapter 7, we're going to examine failures in Joshua's life in the area of prayer. This is the man that God chose to replace Moses. This is the man God chose to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. But multiple times in the very onset of their conquest of Canaan, we see this man of God failing in the area of prayer. In Joshua 7, we read in verse 10, the Bible says the, the children of Israel have just been defeated at Ai, an embarrassing defeat. Many men have died. And verse 10 says, And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up, wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Israel hath sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them, for they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen and dissembled. And they have put it even among their own stuff. So here Joshua, the man of God, chosen to lead God's people. He's on his face before God, praying, asking God, why were we defeated? And how does God respond to him in prayer? Get thee up. Wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? And he had to reckon with God and recognize that he as God's leader had failed. And he had failed to make sure before they attacked Ai, Ai that God was with them. They had failed to secure God's help. And there Joshua failed. But what did he do after this failure? He got up like God told him to, and he stood on God's promises, and he made sure that people were sanctified, and he kept going. Joshua did not let this failure keep him from obeying God from that point on. And just because he had failed this time, He was going to stand up, get up, stand on God's promises, and obey what God was telling him to do. But this wasn't the only time he failed. Then a couple chapters later, if you'll turn with me to chapter 9, the Gibeonites were nearby. They were the next city that the children of Israel were supposed to conquer. But look what happens in verse 14 when, when the Gibeonites came to deceive the people of God Uh, into making a league, making a peaceful negotiation with them. Verse 14 of chapter 9 says, And the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. Then they find out that they're their neighbors. And here they are. They're supposed to be conquering the whole land of Canaan. They've already failed once at Ai. Now they're failing again by making peace with a nation that has deceived them. But what did Joshua do? He recognized his mistake. He got back up, and he chose to stand on God's promises and look in chapter 10. This man who has failed in the area of prayer, not once, but twice, almost in a row. But look at how he responds in chapter 10 in verse 12. Then speak Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. Now, we ask for some big things on our prayer page, but we've never asked for anything like this. Look what Joshua asks of God, and he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon and thou moon in the valley of Agilon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Notice verse 14, and there was no day like that before it or after it, that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man, for the Lord fought... For Israel. Literally, the most astronomical prayer ever prayed and ever answered in the Bible was by a man who had failed in the area of prayer before. And if every one of us in this room were honest, we would be able to list many times that we have failed in the area of prayer. Well, let's follow the example of Joshua. It is never too late to get up. It is never too late to begin standing on God's promises and claiming all that God has for us. Joshua didn't let past failure keep him back. He chose to get up and stand on God's promises. And because he didn't quit in this area of prayer, God gave him the most astronomical answer to prayer recorded in the Bible. And how much more does our Father want to give good things to us at Metro Baptist Church If we will get up and stand on his promises. So those are the three biblical truths that we want to look at tonight. And we we want to plead with you that that every single one of us would make prayer the number one priority of our lives. Make it a non-negotiable. Yes, you might fall like Joshua in the future. Yes, you might not always keep your commitments perfectly. But let's commit to make prayer a number one priority and stand on God's promises. But now, if you would take out your booklet, we're going to see how we can begin to do this. How can we begin to stand on God's promises? Last week, we looked at the first portion of the excerpt from Mark Batterson's Circle Maker. We're going to look at the last portion and see how we can make this decision to stand on God's promises. Toward the bottom of page three, you should see a header that says start circling, start circling. That's where we will begin reading. This is how we're going to apply what God is asking us to do. The Bible, uh, this passage says, what I'm about to share has the power to revolutionize the way you pray and the way you read the Bible. We often view prayer and scripture reading as two distinct spiritual disciplines. Without much overlap, we think, oh, i got to take 15 minutes for Bible reading, and then i got to take 15 minutes for prayer. It's very separated in our minds. But he asks, what if they were meant to be hyperlinked, to be connected? What if reading became a form of praying, and praying became a form of reading? One of the primary reasons we don't pray through is because we run out of things to say. And how many of us have been there? In our prayer closet wondering, what in the world do I say next? Our lack of persistence is really a lack of conversation pieces. Like an awkward conversation, we don't know what to say. Or like a conversation on its last leg, we run out of things to talk about. That's when our prayers turn into a bunch of overused and misapplied cliches. So instead of praying hard about a big dream, we're left with small talk. Our prayers are as meaningless as a conversation about the weather. The solution? Pray through the Bible. Prayer was never meant to be a monologue with just one person talking. It was meant to be a dialogue. Think of scripture as God's part of the script. Prayer is our part. Scripture is God's way of initiating a conversation. Prayer is our response. Now, this statement is very important, and I would encourage you to underline it. The paradigm, or the, the mindset shift, happens when you realize that the Bible wasn't meant to be read through. The Bible was meant to be prayed through. And if you pray through it, you'll never run out of things to talk about. The Bible is a promise book and a prayer book. And while reading scripture is reactive, prayer is proactive. Reading is the way you get through the Bible. Notice this. Prayer is the way you get the Bible through you. As you pray, the Holy Spirit will quicken or make alive certain promises to your spirit. It's very difficult to predict what and when and where and how, but over time, the promises of God will become your promises. Then you need to circle those promises both figuratively And literally. I never read without a pen so that I can underline, asterisk, and circle. I literally circle the promises in my Bible. Then I do it figuratively by circling them in prayer. One of my treasured possessions is my grandfather's Bible. I sometimes do devotions in his Bible because I want to see the verses he underlined. I love reading his notes in the margins, and I love seeing what promises he circled. The thing that I love most about his Bible is that it literally had to be taped together because it was falling apart. It wasn't just well-read. It was well-prayed. So if you and I are going to become this people of prayer that God wants us to be, we need to begin circling God's promises. Literally and figuratively. So my practical thing, and you'll, you'll find it in your handout that we give out later, I would encourage you to buy a Bible highlighter or a colored pen, and as you're reading through scripture, begin circling God's promises every time you read, and begin claiming them as your own. Another thing that you could do that has been very helpful to me, I haven't been super consistent with it, but when I've done it, it has encouraged me, is begin praying through the Psalms. They're short, uh, you can get through them rather quickly, and really, they, they were given to us so that we could pray through them. And the Psalms is full of promises that you can circle and uh, and pray through as you go. Then I would also encourage you to start a prayer journal, whether this is on your phone or a paper one. Begin writing down the promises of God that he wants you to claim, and then write down when God comes through on that promise and gives you what you're asking for in prayer. So we need to begin circling the promises of God. But then if you'll turn the page... This portion from Dr. John Rice is especially helpful and encouraging. Because when we approach the promises of God, sometimes uh, they discourage us. And we think, I haven't met all the conditions, so I don't think I'm worthy of claiming the promise. But this will really help you. So if you could uh, follow along with me, underline star things as we go. Do you want something from God? This is on page five. Then just pray. Prayer gets things from God, and the one great condition of getting things is asking for them. Some scriptures give special promises for those who ask in faith. Others mention that we can get anything we want if we ask according to his will. Again, we are told that whatsoever we shall ask in Christ's name we can have. These are different conditions of prayer that he's listing. Then if two are agreed, they can have what they ask for Persistence in prayer is encouraged too, and those who cry day and night to God will be heard speedily. Notice this though. But all these are enlargements of promise and not limitations. These are promises, not strictures or not restrictions. All these are to make prayer easier and not to make it harder. All these promises are simply elaborations of the general promises that we can get things just by praying, simply by asking. Now, notice what he says about our text verses in Matthew 7. Ask and it shall be given you, seek and ye shall find. And it goes through, and he says, Now, the Lord Jesus was always honest and always exactly accurate. He means here just exactly what he said. If you ask, you shall receive. If you seek, you shall find. If you knock, it shall be opened unto you. And the only possible limitation to that promise, since it means exactly what it says, is in the amount of asking. Literally, I understand the Greek to mean, be asking, or keep on asking, and it shall be given unto you. And keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. Evidently, what Jesus meant for us to do was to take this promise at literal face value, If there were not another verse in the Bible, this one is all true. All that it implies is true. It is not right to try to find one verse in the Bible to hamstring or to weaken another or to take away its meaning. All the verses in the Bible are meant to fit exactly. Every other verse in the Bible rightly interpreted would mean the same as this means. And if you could underline this statement, that those who ask, received from God, and that if you want things from God, you are just to pray. You are just simply to ask for them and God wants to give them. He goes on to say that the so-called conditions of prayer are really promises. And the most surefire way to meet the conditions of prayer or overcome the hindrances is simply to pray. Could you underline this next statement in the italicized paragraph? He says, for there is something in praying that tends constantly to correct all the hindrances to prayer. Anyone who consciously, earnestly seeks God and has already turned in his heart toward the way out of his troubles. And if he will follow it honestly and earnestly, he will be led out into the clear light of sweet fellowship with God and unhindered prayer. You can look through these applications. I think they would all be helpful. Can you take time to go through Okay, Pastor, 25 wants to go through there. Okay. I think that'll be enough. Okay, okay. so basically the, the long and short of this is just don't let anything keep you from praying. Okay, five points that are basically saying the same thing. Don't let anything keep you from praying. Never hesitate to pray. Don't let anything keep you from praying. and. What we often do, point number two is so important. Schedule time to pray and ask God to help you pray without ceasing. This commitment to prayer must come first. Self-examination comes later. You know where we fail in prayer? We say, yes, I know I need to pray. I need to make it a priority in my life. But I've got this long list of things that I need to fix in my life first before I can become a person of prayer. And our whole lives, we work on this big, long list of things that the devil has put as a stumbling block in our way. And we let that keep us from praying, when God just says, ask and ye shall receive. And if we would just make the commitment to prayer first, the, the conditions and the conformity of our character and everything else needed for a successful prayer life, it will come from praying. So if I just urge over and over and over, make the commitment to make prayer the number one priority of your life and everything else will begin to fall into place. And when excuses are lodged in your mind for why you shouldn't pray or why you can't pray, remember that they're from the devil and that God is always ready and he always delights in your prayers. Mr. Abel, do you mind passing out the last handout? This is a practical, uh, just an explanation of what we've looked at tonight, for your own reference. And then on the very back, these are some practical ways that we can obey God. If we're going to become a people of prayer, we've got to schedule time to pray every day. And from the example in Psalms, and from the example of the Lord Jesus, praying in the morning uh, is the best time to have that set time of prayer. Before we get to work, before we get to school, we need to take time with our Heavenly Father, and I would encourage you to go through the model prayer. If you don't have the model prayer, uh, we have it printed out again, and you can use it to guide your prayer time. If I could just close um, with this. The rest of this booklet I can encourage you to read through on your own. Um, The next portion is an excerpt about George Mueller, someone who throughout the course of his life received $138 million either in, in in exact money or in gifts of that value, all in answer to prayer, to provide for orphans uh, that he cared for. God used this man tremendously and it's because he stood on God's promises. And so if you want to see a glimpse of what, what it looks like to become a person of prayer, what it looks like to begin standing on the promises, then read the excerpt about George Mueller. It will greatly encourage you and the rest of the, this booklet will just reinforce what we've been looking at tonight. But if I could just leave you with this: George Mueller, this is what this is what C. H. Burgeon called the Prince of Preachers, this is what he said of George Mueller. And this is what available to us. He said, Mr. Mueller gives us more the idea of Enoch, that man who walked with God, than any man we have ever met. He eventually walks with God. Then he says, no doubts disturb the director of the Af- of the Ashley Down Orphanage. How can there be when he sees the Lord daily feeding his 2050 orphan children in answer to his prayers? He soars aloft above any kind of, of care or worries. He's free from all anxiety. He enjoys life to the utmost. And if it were right to envy any man, we should certainly envy George Mueller. Now, this is coming from a man who was so mightily used by God that some people think he was the greatest preacher since the Apostles' era. And he says that if he envied any man, it would be George Mueller. But notice what he says. We are not, however, under any necessity of envying this man. For the same grace worketh in all the saints, and we have but to yield ourselves thereto. So when you read of George Mueller, when you read of men and women of God who claim God's promises, it's not because they were especially um, spiritual or better than us. They were men and women of like passions as we are. And what was available to them, the promises that they claimed, are available to us. And we can begin claiming promises today, this week. We can begin standing on the promises like these men that we're reading about like the men we read about in Scripture. And if you feel like you failed before, take the example of Joshua as encouragement. He never quit in this area of prayer, and God answered him mightily.